0: Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Everybody. Is the humidity doing anything funny to other people's hair? <laughs> I just wondered if, if, that was, if that was the case. Some of you may be wondering what's going on here today. Uh, uh, how many of you... Uh, first of all, how many of you went to Penn State? Any Penn Staters here? All right, so if you went to Penn State, you're, you're absolutely familiar with THON. Uh, although it is is now this nationwide phenomenon, and uh, a lot of people know about THON. Um, And what you may not know, or or you may, if you have kids in middle school, high school, is that a lot of the schools do something called a mini-THON. And they raise money throughout the school year to uh, donate to THON, and THON, uh, which is run by the Four Diamonds Association, they donate money to families Uh, at the Penn State Children's Cancer Center. Um, So they donate funds so that uh, parents can pay for chemotherapy. They can pay for the things that are going on. They can pay for housing if they've had to come a long way and they're staying in hotels or things like that. Um, and my high school, I teach at East Pennsboro High School. We had our uh, mini-thon last week. And uh, our students are very creative in raising money. And what they did is they, uh, they wait until the last week, the week of the event, <laughs> and they do something called a push week. Any, anybody else? Do you guys do push weeks, like, at, at your schools? We do this push week, and usually we re- raise about another $2,000 or so, $2,200, every year in this last week. And I uh, was approached by these students, and they said, Mr. Derica, what would you do if we reached a goal of $3,000? Now, Mr. Derica was foolish enough to think, these students will never reach $3,000. They've never done it before in the entire time I've been there. Four years I've been there, they've never reached $3,000. So I said, you know what? And and I read about this uh, years and years ago. If you reach $3,000, I will go in front of the whole student body and I will shave off half my beard. Now, I will say that the students did not raise $3,000. They raised $6,000 in one week. I'm hoping it's because they really wanted to support the children uh, at the Penn State Children's (laughs) Hospital, but what I'm really thinking is they wanted to humiliate Mr. Derica for a while. But this is, this is the result, I told them I would keep it through the weekend. I have gone, I have, I have pumped gas, and I have picked up food, and I have seen people, and their reactions are much the same as some of yours. Um, but that is the, the, the explanation. Now, if the sermon seems only half as strong... <laughs> As usual, it's because I've lost half my strength, which I find in my glorious beard. Um... But... (laughs) that's the story of of the beard. Now, having said that, youth group, you want to start raising some money, I'll start growing this beard back, (laughs) and we will do some fun stuff. (laughs) All right. I was happy that they raised six That It was like, that was the coolest thing ever. Um, how many of you here are, uh, were ever athletes in high school or college, or maybe you're an athlete in high school and college now? Anybody? A couple of athletes here and there? Okay. How many, how many of you may, maybe are, uh, were valedictorian in high school, or you're heading towards valedictorianism? Um, or maybe you graduated with honors from college, magna cum laude, summa cum laude. Um, Any military, first responders? Anybody like that in here today? What do you think of when you think of these people, athletes and and students who excel, and, and these folks in the military, these folks who are first responders? First thing I always think about is that it takes an incredible amount of work to be that successful in what you're doing. We I mean, valedictorians, honor graduates, they spend like, countless hours studying and working and preparing for tests and presentations and doctoral dissertations and all of these things, and often they give up a lot in order to do that. They give up a lot of time. They give up uh, weekend sleepovers with friends because they know they have an exam on Monday and they really have to study, they really need to do well. Military personnel, first responders, these folks spend months, maybe even years, training in their specialty, not just because they want to do their job well, but because by doing their job well, they ensure the safety of all of the people who they work with. If they do their job well, the unit the group succeeds. Athletes are, are another group. They, they make a lot of sacrifices. They put their bodies through a lot of things. I am not an athlete. <laughs> but our athletes, they, they go through these immense times of training, not just physically, but mentally. They, they train mentally to deal with all of the things that can happen on the field so that their team can win. And no matter what the pursuit, no matter what we're doing, if we want to excel at whatever it is that we do, we have to dedicate ourselves to working on that. We have to dedicate ourselves to studying and taking classes or or practicing over and over these things that we want to do well. In other words, excellence takes discipline. And discipline, and this is a really small slide, and I apologize, but discipline is the practice of training people to obey rules and orders and punishing them if they do not, and the controlled behavior or situation that is a result of this training. So I'm pretty familiar with the Pennsylvania high school sports, a couple of them. Right. And for Pennsylvania High School, P.I.A.A., anybody ever heard P.I.A.A., Pennsylvania Interscholastic Athlete Association? We'll just call it P.I.A.A. But they provide rule books. They provide all of these rules for all of the sports that they cover. Right. All of the sports that are played in high school. And I know this because uh, my son plays football and he's also in track and field. So I know that there's a football rule book, and the football rule book has everything in it about the game. It has the dimensions of the field. And if you look, uh, at, if you look closely at this slide and I know you can't really read it but there's not only the, the, the layout of the field there are these areas that are marked "restricted." You're not supposed to go in those areas while the game is being played. And these rule books, they cover everything. They tell an athlete what they're supposed to wear and what they're not supposed to wear. They talk about how officials are supposed to call the game. They talk about how the clock keeper is supposed to do their job. I mean, they cover every tiny little detail of what makes the game the game and how the team can be successful in winning the game within those parameters. And they also include things like penalties and punishments for not doing things according to the rules of the game. You see, almost everything in life has rules associated with it. Where are my my school students? Raise your hand if you're a school student. If you're a school student, does your school have a book that tells you what you can and cannot wear? Yes. Do we listen to it? No. (laughs) I'm a teacher, I know. But they have rules about how, how they can dress. They have rules about how they take tests and how they do work. You're not allowed to cheat, right? Your teachers tell you you're not allowed to cheat? Yeah, they do? They don't? They do, okay. And these rule books give them penalties as well. They say, if you do this, you could be, uh, you could have an after-school detention, you could have a Saturday detention, you could be suspended, you could be expelled. The schools set those expectations so that things run the way the school wants them to be run so that everybody can learn. Any nurses this morning? Doctors? (laughs) People who want to be nurses, right? Doctors and nurses have procedures that they have to follow to the letter in order to protect the patient from harm and also to protect themselves from liability. There are rules for everything. And anything that we want to do well takes discipline. Now, when we think the word discipline, how many of you, when you hear the word discipline, your mind goes automatically to the negative? Like disciplining your child when they don't do something right, or disciplining your student. We always think of this negative, idea if you don't follow the rules, you're going to be disciplined, right? But thinking about discipline in that way really takes away from what it is. Discipline is nothing more than working within the boundaries of whatever we're doing so that we can be the best that we can be at whatever that thing is. Now, Wendy and I had a meeting with uh Josh's uh, track coach, his his throwing coach uh, a couple of weeks ago. And we were talking about maybe Josh training with him over the summer, and his coach constantly kept telling us things like, here's a difference between good throwing and great throwing. And he said that great throwing is about consistency. He can't be consistent if he doesn't train, if he doesn't practice, and he has to kind of get this idea of something called muscle memory. Right? He does the same thing over and over until it's almost second nature. And he's telling us things like if you, if you land your foot like an inch to the left or to the right, your throw's gonna go over here or over there. Or if your arm is an inch high or low, you're gonna not have a great throw. It has to be perfect, and it has to go like this and all and of course, I don't understand any of it, but Josh does, which is good. But. We do things over and over and over again regularly in order to succeed, and that is known as discipline. And over the past few weeks, we've been talking about building disciples, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. We've learned that confessing that Jesus is who he says he is, that he died on the cross for our sins, that He is our Lord and our Savior, that He should be in charge of our lives. We've learned these things. We've learned that building a life on the foundation of Jesus Christ, of His teachings and His commandments, those are the first steps to living a Christian life. Jesus calls us to be disciples. And I don't know if you've ever thought about it before, or if you've ever looked at these words side by side with each other. But discipline and disciple, almost the same exact word. Discipline literally means to adhere to, to learn. And a disciple is the one who learns or adheres to something. And disciples of Jesus Christ are to learn the teachings of Jesus and to adhere to his commands or his rule book. And last week, we ended by saying that the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity and the helper who Jesus promised, in our building uh, scenario here, he is our contractor. He is the one that works every single day to make sure that all of the procedures are followed in order for us to build our spiritual houses. And I know that sounds really clinical and really kind of like boring, but it's not. The Holy Spirit can be our contractor, can be our teacher, our helper, because he is God. He is the third person of the Trinity. He knows what Jesus taught because Jesus taught through the Holy Spirit. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus did the things that he did. And it is through the power of the Holy Spirit within us when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior that we learn what it is to truly be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit wants us to be useful. He wants us to be making disciples of other people. And if we think of this idea of the spiritual house as being a disciple, we might look at these tools that the Holy Spirit has and he uses to build us up, as training tools. We might call these spiritual disciplines, things that the Holy Spirit, through the Bible and through his work in us, tells us we should be doing. In 1 Timothy 4, 7, the author Paul tells us to train ourselves for godliness. How many of you, when you became saved, were told that you actually now had work to do? I, I didn't. I actually went to a church one time, they were doing this play, right, um, on Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And we, we talked about him a little bit last week. He talked about costly grace. And he, they did this whole thing about talking about how Bonhoeffer talked about costly grace and how, and how much following Jesus costs. And then they had an altar call, and they said, say this prayer, and you're a Christian, it's as simple as that. And I was like, no, no, no. We're not told the cost when we become Christians. We're just told, hey, you got to become a Christian. I'm here to tell you there's a cost. There are things that we are expected to do. You don't just become a Christian, sit in a pew for a couple of hours a week, and call it good. Not if you're a true disciple of Jesus Christ. We must train ourselves. We must work. We must put into practice the things that Jesus told us would make us strong and maybe even more importantly, would make us consistent. Because I gotta say, there are a lot of inconsistent Christians out there today. I've been one of them. Sometimes I am one of them. I know sometimes I will be one of them. If I don't train myself, if I don't learn, if I don't practice spiritual discipline, I can very easily become one of these Sunday morning Christians that really doesn't do anything. There are many ways that we can train ourselves for godliness, many spiritual disciplines. We're going to talk about the most common ones there. I mean, if you Google spiritual disciplines, you know, what are the eight spiritual disciplines? What are the 12 spiritual disciplines? What are the 47 spiritual disciplines? You can find uh, lists all over the place. We're going to talk about the most common ones. And first of all, there are two primary types of spiritual discipline. There are inward disciplines. We call those personal disciplines. Those are the things that we do. And then there are what they call corporate disciplines. These are things that we do with others, like coming to church. Now, some of the inward disciplines include meditation and prayer, scripture reading, study, solitude, stewardship, fasting. Oh, no, he's going to tell me to fast. No, (laughs) not that. But that. I'm not going to tell you to fast. The Holy Spirit's going to fa- tell you to fast. I'm not going to tell you to fast. But most Christians, we we do some of these things sometimes, right? Most Christians pray, right? Some Christians read the Bible fairly regularly. Some people practice solitude. These people are not mothers. Some people practice fasting. I don't know any of them personally, but some people practice fasting. But what we're talking about today is not that we read the Bible or that we pray. It's how we do these things. And we need to do these things with consistency. How many of you pray? How many of you pray when you need or want something. We do. We pray. We pray for healing. We pray for financial blessing. We pray for the A on that test that we didn't study for. We pray that John or Jane likes us, likes us. We pray that our team will win the World Series. We pray all of these things. There's not necessarily anything wrong with praying for these things, but if that's the extent of our prayer life, asking God for the things that we need or the things really that we want, then we turn God into a cosmic genie. And we go up to God when we pray and we rub His lamp and we say, God, give me what I want. And then we get mad at him when he doesn't, right? That's not what prayer is supposed to be, right, Ron? Right. Yeah, God wants us to, tell us to tell him what we need, right? That's part of the, the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. He wants us to tell him what we need, maybe even what we want. But more than anything, prayer is just talking to God. Prayer is just being with God, just being with him, not because we want something, not because we need something, just because he is God. How many of you have friends who only talk to you when they need something or when they want something? Yeah, see? They only talk to you when they, please, you got to help me study, do my homework for me. Can you help me move? Right? <laughs> but when you want something, what happens? Oh, I'm sorry, I've got to uh, switch around my sock drawer next week and I can't, I can't help you out. <laughs> how, how does that make you feel? When you help out a friend because they ask you to help and then when you turn around and ask them for help, they're nowhere to be found. But we treat God like that. We don't treat God like somebody that we're in a relationship with. We don't treat God as if he is our friend. We treat God like a genie, and God is not a genie. God wants to be in a relationship with us. And when we just ask for what we want and then turn around and go our own way and ignore him until the next time, we need to ask for something that we want. I want you to think about how you feel when that happens to you, because that's how God feels when we do that to him. Think about all the people in your lives. Think about the people you're closest to. Isn't it the people that you talk to? Isn't it the people that you spend time with? They talk to you about things. You talk to them about things, important things, not important things. You laugh with them. You cry with them. You help them. They help you. Let's face it, the people that we're closest to are the people who make us feel the most important. And they're probably close to us because we make them feel the same way. And as disciples of Jesus Christ, we ought to want to spend time with God. He is our most important relationship, more than your husband or your wife or your kids. He is your most important relationship. He knows you better than anybody. And he wants you to want to spend time with him along with prayer, one of the things that we do, hopefully, is that we spend some time alone with God. We don't just come to church and do our praying here. We go off alone as much as we can, right moms? We go off alone and we spend time with God in solitude, and we try to make that a regular thing. I don't know about you, but if, if I can't get alone, even if it's just in my car, if I can't get alone with God on a regular basis, I just don't feel like I'm doing what He wants. I don't know what He wants from me. We get away from all these distractions. We get away from all of the cares of the world, and we just focus on that one relationship. You go on family vacations, anybody family vacations? Anybody go on like... Couples' vacations where you leave the kids behind and you, you just go and you 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 be together, right? You have that time where you're alone, whether it's with, just with your family or whether it's just with your spouse. You're just alone with them and you get to talk to them and you get to 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 learn more about them. Some of the greatest conversations that Wendy and I have are when we're off, just the two of us on our own. And we can say things like, what do, you, what, do you, what do you see our life like in five years? Where are we going to be living? What are we going to be doing? These are the things that build those relationships, and these are the ways that we can build a relationship with God just to go off with Him by ourselves and say, so God, what do you, what do you, what do you think? Here's, here's what I'm thinking, but, but what do you think? What, is, is this, am I on the right track? Am I doing what it is that I'm supposed to be doing? And we pray, and we talk to God, and then we listen for His voice, and we really can only do that if we're alone with Him. And of course, another one of our disciplines is reading and studying the Bible, and we talk about that so much here at Morning Hour Chapel. Right? Just as an athlete or a doctor or any other skilled worker needs to read and learn like how to do what it is that they're supposed to be doing. How are we supposed to know what Jesus wants us to do if we don't read what he says? In John 14, 15 he says, if you love me you will keep my commandments. Well, what are your commandments, Jesus? How can I love you if I don't know your commandments? How can I know your commandments if I don't read what you have said we find his commandments his instructions in the bible and i don't think it's important to read and study the bible just for our own personal benefit although it is and we talk about that a lot but i want you to think about something think about that you you discover that you need surgery for something surgery is crucial for your survival, you will likely die if you don't have this surgery. And you have two options for a surgeon. You meet with both of them. The one is a doctor, graduated with a C average, went to class about 75% of the time, doesn't really know much about the surgery, but he tells you not to worry, he'll Google it, and everything will be fine. That's option one. Option two is the doctor who graduated with honors from his medical school. And he knows the risks associated with the surgery, and he's gonna talk to you about those risks, but he's also going to tell you every step of the surgery, from pre-op to operation to post-op, and all of the things that you can expect to happen, because he knows. He doesn't even have to read it out of a book. He just knows these things, because he's studied them and he's learned them. Which surgeon are you gonna go with? You gonna go surgeon number one or surgeon number two? Two. I know that's what I'm gonna do. Now I want you to think about this. Think about all of the people, and we've talked about the, the tens of thousands of people just in Adams County who don't know God, who've never had any kind of experience with God. Who would you rather those people go to to learn about God? The Christian that comes and sits in the church pew for two hours on a Sunday morning and then goes home and does nothing else? or the Christian who reads and studies and knows what the cost of discipleship is. The person that knows what God requires of us and will tell them the truth about it so that we're not making fake disciples or Sunday morning disciples, but we're truly building disciples who will follow Jesus Christ, who will do the things that he said to do, who will do the things that he did. When we study the Bible, when we study Scripture, and we learn about what it says, we are better equipped to share Jesus Christ with others. And we don't have to worry about bumper sticker theology or meme theology. They will know what they're supposed to know. Whether they make a decision for Christ or not, that's not on me. That's on them, right? Holy Spirit's going do to do his job. But they need to come to a person like some of the people in this room, some of the people watching this video, who know who Jesus is, who have a relationship with God. In Matthew 28, 20, Jesus leaves his instructions, and he tells his disciples to make disciples, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. We could read that as teaching them to do all that I have commanded you to do. And I'm gonna tell you something, as a pastor and as a teacher, it is impossible to teach something if you don't know how to do it yourself. It's impossible. We need to read, we need to study. The other personal uh, disciplines, fasting, stewardship, um, don't worry, we're not gonna talk about fasting a lot. Um, But they do, they help us to build our houses, and they help us to do it in, in different ways. Fasting helps us to shift our focus away from our physical needs and towards our spiritual needs. And it also helps us to appreciate God's provision for us. It helps us to appreciate when we do have food by basically depriving ourselves of food from time to time. But you know fasting they took a survey, fasting is the most feared spiritual discipline. Because we don't want to do it. We're afraid we're going to be you know somebody's going to look at us and, 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 and say what's wrong with you? We're afraid that they're going to, you know, make fun of us or we're going to look weird or we're going to look, you know, like those super Jesus freaks that we talked about in the 70s, right? But really, there's another reason that it's the most feared, and that's because we don't like to deny ourselves of anything at all. If we're honest, we know that we live in a self-indulgent and self-absorbed society. Our culture tells us, don't do without. Go and get everything that you can, right? They do. And they tell you, don't rely on anybody else. You've got to rely on yourself to get those things. So not only are they telling us, don't fast. They're telling us, don't rely on God, rely on yourself. This is what the culture tells us. And if you look around, you know it's true. But through fasting, we take seriously The words that Jesus used when battling Satan in the wilderness, when he was practicing that spiritual discipline of fasting, he says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And he said this after 40 days and 40 nights of no food, he stopped eating. And Satan, at the end of this 40 days and 40 nights, suggests, take these stones and turn them into bread for yourself. He wants Jesus to stop relying on the provision of God the Father. And that's why Jesus modeled fasting for us he taught us the purpose to live spiritually to live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God and he knew Jesus knew he trusted that God would feed him when God was ready God would feed him when God knew that Jesus needed to be fed his focus was on the father His focus was to concentrate on the spiritual rather than on the physical. And a little while later, Jesus taught his disciples in Matthew chapter 6, don't be anxious saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. He knows you need to eat. He made you that way. He knows you need water. He made you that way. What Jesus is saying is seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Focus on what God wants for you to do and let God focus on the rest. He will feed you. He will clothe you. He will provide for you. Jesus' disciples should not be afraid of fasting. We ought to practice it so that we can focus our attention on God every once in a while. Once we begin that God does provide for all of our needs, not necessarily when we think we need it, but when we need it, then we can start practicing that other spiritual discipline, stewardship. Now, stewardship is a scary word for Christians. Oh, the pastor's going to talk about giving. No, I'm not going to talk about giving. I'm going to talk about a lot more than giving. It's not just about giving to the church. Stewardship, I'm going to give you a definition here. Stewardship is understanding that everything we have comes from God and belongs to God. And we don't own any of it. Stewardship is understanding that everything we have comes from God and belongs to God, and we don't own any of it. Your house, it's God's. Your money, it's God's. He's just letting you hold on to it for a while. He's just letting you take care of it for a while until he's ready to use it for his purposes. And we see this idea both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 14, we read, Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth and all that is in it. And when he says all that is in it, that means all that is in it, including us. In Colossians 1:16, we read for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities all things were created through him and for him when we limit stewardship to giving money to tithing or whatever it is that you do we don't realize that God has given us the responsibility as followers of Jesus Christ to be good stewards of everything. Even our time and our talents. That's what it says right here. The visible and the invisible. Your time, your talent, your strength. All of those things are things that God wants you to use for the building of his kingdom. He expects us to feed people. He expects us to clothe people. He expects us, yes, to give money to the poor. But he also expects us to use our time. Time is finite. But we should always be finding time to serve God whether that's going downtown and feeding the homeless going to a a a celebration or a a fundraiser this afternoon at York Springs Firehouse to help raise money for kids that are about to lose their dads we're supposed to use everything when God tells us it's time to use them for his purposes. Discipline is what makes a disciple. Doing the right thing, doing the things that Jesus tells us to do regularly, over and over, that's what makes a disciple Think of it this way, being a disciple means less of me and more of Christ every single day. It means being willing to sacrifice. It means being willing to do things that maybe we don't want to do or we think we don't have time to do when God tells us to do them. That's what being a disciple is. The Holy Spirit wants to build us into disciples. And guess what? The Holy Spirit also has tools that he uses within the church. When we get together on Sunday mornings, when we get together and do things, the Holy Spirit is helping to build us into his church. And next week, we're going to talk about the corporate Spiritual disciplines and what the Holy Spirit wants us to do as a group In order to build God's kingdom and do the things that Jesus has taught us how to do would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for today. We thank you that you have given us everything You've given us our homes. You've given us our jobs Our cars, our money, our children, our spouses, everything is yours and you have loaned them to us for a time. Father, we ask that you would help us to see and to know how you want us to use those resources, how you want us to steward our entire lives. Help us to be comfortable feeling uncomfortable. Help us to feel comfortable sacrificing time, sacrificing material things, sacrificing ourselves so that we might build your kingdom. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you want to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ? You have to do what He tells you to do in Scripture. And if you don't know what that is, you need to break open a Bible or pull up a Bible app and start reading. Spend some time alone with God this week in prayer and meditation. Spend some time reading and studying His Word. I won't say spend some time fasting yet. I don't know if you're ready for that. But... Spend time with God this week. Let him be your most important relationship. God bless you.